0: Hello to everyone out there. My name is Adam and you are listening to Disqualified. Last time on the podcast, we looked at God's work of bringing about a new Passover in Jesus, even when the leaders of God's people intended to destroy Him. We saw that God is so good and so powerful that He can even turn our evil into beauty, our rebellion into glory, and our fear into His eternal plan of infinite love. We saw that we can trust God to be good to us even when it costs Him everything, even when we make war against Him. God is forever and completely good. I encouraged us to celebrate this new Passover in the sacrament of Holy Communion. I had a professor in seminary who told this story. He grew up in the British Isles in the late 1950s, and at the time it was normal for people to abstain from communion when they felt that they had sinned. This professor said that one day a young pastor saw a Christian woman abstain because she believed that she had separated herself from Christ by committing a grave sin. The pastor looked at her and with love in his eyes said, It's for sinners, lass. Jesus offers his life for yours while you are yet a sinner. He wants to give you himself. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to dine with your king. Take up hope. Hope. This time, we will continue our study of the book of John by looking at one of the most intimate scenes in John's Gospel. In it, we will see three things. Number one, Jesus is worth your everything. Number two, Jesus is about to die for his people. Number three, there are two types of people who claim to follow Jesus. One of them receives his blessing, while the other will be cut off. I'm glad you're listening. If you have a Bible, join me in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Today I'll be reading from the ESV. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came therefore to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you. But you will not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews heard that Jesus was there, they came, not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, the Word of the Lord. Our text today begins six days before the Passover. We are now within the last week of Jesus' earthly life. There are 21 chapters in John's Gospel, and 8 of them occur within this final week. I think we are to understand that this week is what the Gospel is all about. All of Jesus' words and signs have thus far been pointing to these seven days. We can't quite tell what happened on which day, but we know from history that Jesus was crucified on either a Thursday or a Friday, in late March or early April in the year 33 CE. The events we read about today likely occurred on the previous Friday or Saturday. John frames this week within the Passover. John wants his readers to know that what Jesus is about to do is theologically analogous to that event within redemptive history. Jesus is about to rescue his people. He's about to set us free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. We sold ourselves into captivity to death and the devil, but Jesus is about to buy us back. He's about to make war on the powers and lead his people out of their service into a place where they can worship him in spirit and truth. We didn't deserve his love. It's all grace. It's all unmerited kindness. He will shine in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Jesus comes to Bethany again, the place where he raised Lazarus from the dead. This is also significant, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Lazarus' family and the community wanted to honor the victorious king, and so they gave a feast. The text said that Martha was serving, like she often did, and Lazarus was reclining at table with Jesus. If you feel like you are often in the kitchen instead of at the party, know that Jesus loves you. He values your quiet service. He values your inclination to make sure that everyone is taken care of. What Martha did is just as valuable as what Mary was about to do. There are no small Christians. Jesus sees you. He created you to be you. He loves it when you act out of your particular gifting to serve Him and others. In the ancient Near East, men reclined at the dinner table. This custom came from the Passover celebration when the Lord commanded His people to recline while they ate to proclaim that they are free. While he should have been in the grave, because of Jesus, Lazarus was able to feast in freedom. John means for his readers to know that Jesus is about to free his people. Here comes a beautiful scandal. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, took about 327 grams, or 11.5 ounces, of pure, expensive perfume and dumped it on Jesus' feet. It was customary for the lowest servant to wash the feet of the guests at dinners. Remember, this was a time before regular baths or even closed-toed shoes. Feet were dirty. They had been walking in the dust and animal excrement. They were sweaty and smelly. But instead of letting a servant simply wash Jesus' feet, the hostess willingly spilled almost a year's wage worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. She didn't spray it in the air. She didn't spray herself to make herself presentable to the Messiah. She anointed Jesus' feet. John means for us to see that Jesus is worth the best that we can give him. He gave his all to us. In response, we give him all that we are and all that we have. Mary didn't stop with anointing Jesus' feet. Instead of taking a towel from her waist, she begins to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. This hasn't changed much in the past 2,000 years. In ancient Near Eastern cultures, a woman's hair was her glory. Dignified women typically wore their hair up. They let their hair down for their husband's. Mary lets her hair down not to display her beauty, but she took the very sign of her beauty and her glory and she wiped the lowest, dirtiest part of Jesus. This was scandalous. By doing this, Mary was saying that Jesus is her glory. He is better than the best she can bring. If you lose the world but gain Jesus, you have everything. If you lose your glory to be found in the Messiah, you've lost nothing. There is nothing worth more than Jesus. He is the treasure of the cosmos. He is the ultimate beauty. In him there is ultimate pleasure and joy. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Pray that you would see him in his glory. Pray that you would love him for all he's worth. We love best that which we love for its own sake. English lacks ways to express shades of love. We love our jobs because they provide for us and our families, and they give us a sense of purpose. We love our pets, because they give us a sense of acceptance. We love our spouse, because they're beautiful, smart, funny, engaging. We love most that which we would love, even if it gave us nothing in return. Jesus deserves this type of love. But Jesus is so good and kind and gracious that he will give us himself. The king who created and sustains all things will make himself our husband. According to John, Mary is the picture of the church. She follows Jesus to get Jesus. Judas Iscariot scoffs, Why wasn't this perfume sold and given to the poor? It is worth approximately $30,000. John adds the editorial note that Judas didn't really care about the poor. He was the holder of the money bag, and he often used to help himself to its contents. Some people follow Jesus not to get Jesus, but to use Jesus to serve themselves. Idolatry is anything you love most that you don't love for Jesus' sake. Judas loved money most. Some of us love power or sex most. Some of us love our acclaim most. We can use money, sex, power, or fame to proclaim the worth and majesty of our king. Or we can use our king to gain money, sex, power, or fame. Pray that Jesus would pry your hands off your idols. They will enslave and kill you. Jesus answers and tells Judas that this act was done to prepare Jesus for burial. Jesus is about to die for us, for you. The church's response is to give her everything to her suffering and victorious king. We see John's subtle clue that Jesus' death isn't the end of him in the presence of Lazarus. This is a foreshadowing that Jesus will rise but more on that when we come to it. The leaders of God's people can't stand the scandal of Mary or the sign of Lazarus. They know that if people start seeing Jesus as the Messianic King, there will be a revolt and Rome will come and crush Israel. They plan to execute Lazarus too, so the people won't hear the message of Jesus. But there's nothing they can do to stop God's gracious plan. The violence of Rome can't stop God. Our God is on the move. So what's the takeaway? Number one, Jesus is worth your everything. He's worth your best. We don't give him our lives in the hope that we can obligate him to be good to us. That's idolatry. We give him our everything because he's already given us his everything. He acted first. He loved first. We respond out of awe that he so loved us. We respond in faith that if we have gained Jesus, we have everything. Two. Jesus is about to offer himself as the great Passover lamb. Some Christians teach that Jesus had to die to appease an angry God. I believe that God completely loved us and wanted our freedom. God the Father gave God the Son to redeem his people from death. He isn't mad at you. He loves you. Three. There are two types of people that claim to follow Jesus. Some follow him for his own sake, and they will enter life. Some claim to follow him to gain something from Jesus that they want besides Jesus. In seeking their life, they will lose it. If you want life, come to Jesus for Jesus' sake. He will give you himself, the source of life, truth, beauty, goodness, pleasure, and joy. For There's nothing that can stop our king from being gracious to us. There's no evil plan that can thwart our God. No sin of man nor power of hell can snatch us from his loving hands. Thanks for listening. This is Disqualified.